Welcome back to the Religions of the Ancient Mediterranean podcast. We're continuing in the series Diversity in Early Christianity, looking at what are traditionally labeled heresies. And in particular, we've turned now to many of the writings in the Nag Hammadi collection, a collection of writings usually categorized as Gnostic. This is the second of two episodes that deal with the secret book of John, the Apocryphon of John, and examine the worldview, the way of looking at the spiritual realm and the way of looking at the material realm that we find in this particular Nag Hammadi writing. In the previous episode, we explained how that author looks at the perfect spiritual realm and talked about the divine triad and the emanations that take place within the perfect spiritual realm, the fullness, as it is sometimes called. We also began to look at the end of the episode at an error that took place that resulted in an abortive creation of a creator god, a demiurge, Yaltebeoth is the name of that creator god in this author's conception. And that creator god is identified with the creator god of the Hebrew Bible for this author, who is an inferior deity in the view of the author of the Apocryphon of John. In this episode, we now get explained more fully that creator god and his activity, and the way in which that creator god's activity results in the creation of the material realm and the creation of human bodies, ultimately really a prison for a spark from the spiritual realm. We also explain, however, how this mistake gets reversed. Namely, we look at how this author understands what salvation is, what knowledge needs to be gained, namely the knowledge of the nature of the spiritual realm and the nature of the material realm, what knowledge needs to be gained in order to be saved in order to have one spark within one's soul return to become one with the perfect spiritual realm. I hope you enjoy this episode. The mistake that Sophia made starts to produce its own material realm. Take a look at the names that are given to Yaltebeoth when it explains to you his alternate names. You don't know this, but I've got to remind you that they're all names, most of them, that are used of Satan in other Christian authors. Now, the archon who is weak has three names. The first name is Yaltebeoth. The second is Saklas. So in some Judean literature, we have personified evil named Saklas. And the third is Samael. In certain traditions associated with First Enoch that actually developed the whole notion of fallen angels, this is the name of one of the fallen angels, the lead fallen angel. So the, the stories of the fallen angels as rebels against the good God are now being the creator God as rebel against everything. Page 13 of the manuscript. The archons then start to model the material realm on the spiritual realm. So that the creator God of the Hebrew Bible, who's called Yeltebeoth in Apocryphon of John, creates the material realm on the model of the perfect spiritual realm without knowing it. Ignorance is his primary characteristic. Evil emerges out of the fact that he's ignorant and does things that are not compatible with knowledge. And here's where it explains that nonetheless, because he came from the spiritual realm through the mistake of Sophia emanating him, he still preserves within him somehow elements of the spiritual realm in his creation of the material realm. And that's why you end up with more atoms and more Seth. Remember that Adam and Seth are emanations in the spiritual realm, and soon you're going to have an Adam and a Seth as part of the creation of this Yeltebeoth. 
the author of the Apocryphon of John quotes from the Hebrew Bible, where God says in the Hebrew Bible, the Creator God says, I am a jealous God and there is no other God beside me. Yeltebeoth, the imperfect, abortive consequence of an emanation that shouldn't have happened, is the one who says, I am a jealous God, and he is a jealous God in a bad sense. So this is using the quote, I am a jealous God, to give a negative attribute to the Creator God who speaks it. Yaltebeel starts saying, I am a jealous God, and he's already modeled a material universe on spiritual realm, he says. Then we get into the repentance of Sophia. Sophia realizes the mistake she made. So it's talking about Sophia moving to and fro. She's pacing. Sophia is pacing. And John says, what does this pacing of Sophia mean? And then the light, Christ says, smiles and says, do not think it is as Moses said, above the waters. So it's interpreting a particular passage of God hovering over the waters. No, but when she had seen the wickedness which had happened and the theft which her son had committed, and she repented. Sophia repents of her error. And she was overcome by forgetfulness and the darkness of ignorance, and she began to be ashamed. The next whole section is all about Sophia's repentance. And part of the repentance is finding a strategy to correct the error and to bring back the power that had left the spiritual realm to get back what had been stolen. And it's going to be through human souls gaining knowledge that ultimately the spiritual element trapped in the material realm that came via the Creator God without him knowing it that it ultimately will return to the oneness where it belongs. So this is where you get creation of humans. We've got the material realm already created by the Yaltabeoth on the model of the perfect realm without him knowing it's on the model of the perfect realm. He has some sort of images of it in his mind but doesn't know what it is and then imitates it. And then the creation of humans follows that model as well. He has some notion of something and imitates it but he doesn't know quite what he's imitating. This is how how things are rectified. It's through the mistake that Yeltebeoth now makes in the process of creating humans. The perfect spiritual realm has a plan with Sophia playing a role. A plan to trick Yeltebeoth into doing things that will allow the return of those perfect elements to the spiritual realm. And that's what the creation of humans in this narrative is all about. The plan that the perfect spiritual realm has to correct what has happened. Let's look at it. So I'm on uh, page 14 of the manuscript. So we're getting to the creation of humans, which is a bit complicated in this document. And a voice came forth from the exalted eye on heaven, the man exists and the son of man. And the chief archon, Yeltebeoth, heard it and thought that the voice had come from his mother. And he did not know from where it came. It really did come from the perfect spiritual realm. And this is part of the plan of tricking the thief. And he taught them the holy and perfect mother-father, the complete foreknowledge, the image of the invisible one who is the father of, all, of the all, and through whom everything came into being, the first man. For he revealed his likeness in human form. So there's a revelation to the creator God as part of the strategy of the perfect realm to get things back to normal. There's an image of the perfect man from heaven. The perfect man, the Adamas, in the spiritual realm, that the Yaltebeoth catches a glimpse of. And the whole ion of the chief archon trembled, and the foundations of the abyss shook, and of the waters which are above matter, the underside was illuminated by the appearance of his image, which had been revealed. Remember, this is an interpretation of Genesis. 
where God creates in his image. But here it's Yeltaveoth creating in the image of something he sees reflected in relation to a voice he hears. He doesn't know what any of these things are, but he sort of goes, oh, that looks like a good model to use. This is all part of the strategy still of the perfect realm to get things back to the way they should be. And he said to the authorities which attend him, come, let us create a man according to the image of God and according to our likeness, that his image may become a light for us. This is interpreting Genesis again. Further on, according to the likeness of the first perfect man is what it's created according to. But lo and behold, we now have the replication of that perfect emanation that was Adamas in the spiritual realm, now in an Adam being created, partly because the spiritual realm is active in trying to reverse the error that has taken place and have things the power to come back to where it belongs. You then have a long section where it goes into all the body parts of Adam, which is known as the Book of Zoroaster. It seems that this author is quoting from another book. All right, so we've got a human being created, and then this long extensive description of all the body parts that comes from another source. Then we come back to this human being. We're on page 19 of the manuscript where it says, and their product was completely inactive and motionless for a long time. Look what happens next here. And this is what's explaining to you Sophia's role in the recovery. Since she made the mistake, she tries to rectify the error. She wants to retrieve and make, make up for her error by having the power that left return to the perfect spiritual realm. And when the mother wanted to retrieve the power which she had given to the chief archon, she petitioned the mother father of the all, who is the most merciful. He sent by means of the holy decree the five lights down upon the place of the angels of the chief archon. They advised him, the chief archon, Yaltebeoth, that they should bring forth the power of the mother. And they said to Yaltebeoth, blow into his face something of your spirit. Important, spirit and his body will arise. And he blew into his face the spirit, which is the power. Getting Yeltebeoth to blow into the inactive body of Adam so that the spirit that left the spiritual realm because of this mistake will now be in Adam. Another way of putting it, will now be in the soul of Adam. Yeltebeoth still doesn't know. He's ignorant. He sees that Adam's better. And now remember the author, not Yeltebeth, but the author of Apocryphon of John is wanting to interpret Genesis' account of creation, where there's a rib taken out of Adam. And so now you need a new way of explaining the rib being taken out of Adam. Yeltebeth, the creator God, is jealous of Adam, and so are all the other archons jealous of Adam. Why is he better than us? Why does he seem so brilliant, luminous? Well, we know, because we're, we're the readers who know what's going on here. It's because the spiritual realm has a plan to bring back the power. So then we have the story of Yeltebeoth trying to get the intelligence out of Adam so that he can have it for himself. He rips out a rib and creates Eve. Then Eve starts to play an important role in this overall plan of the perfect spiritual realm. When he attempts to take out the intelligence and create another being from it, it becomes Eve. And what does Adam do when he sees Eve in the Apocryphon of John? He sees himself in his light form. I am from a place of light. I am one with this other being now in front of me. And what is Eve? It turns out she is life. And she is Sophia in another form to some degree. But remember the strange stuff that Yeltebeoth keeps doing. 
are the stories in the Hebrew Bible that are being interpreted in a new way. So all of this is interpretation of Genesis. When Yaltebeoth rapes Eve and the offspring are Cain and Abel, who are inferior in this author's view, the author explains, Now up to the present day, sexual intercourse continued due to the chief archon, and he planted sexual desire in her who belongs to Adam, and he produced through intercourse the copies of the bodies, and he inspired them with his counterfeit spirit. So here's explaining the origins of sex. It's created by a, a creator God who's just out to do cause all kinds of problems and is upset that he's inferior and he's jealous of humanity, the humanity he creates. You then have Seth into the picture here and he appears at several other points and in a way pages 119 and following are Act 4 that we mentioned earlier, namely the whole story of salvation. Page 25 of the manuscripts. And the two archons he set over principalities so that they might rule over the tomb. And when Adam recognized the likeness of his own foreknowledge, he begot the likeness of the Son of Man. Adam now has Seth. Remember that we already know there's an Adamas and a Seth in the spiritual realm, don't we? And these, in a way, these are earthly replications of that. He called him Seth according to the way of the race in the ions. Likewise, the mother also sent down her spirit which is in her likeness, and a copy of those who are in the Pleroma, in the fullness. For she will prepare a dwelling place for the ions, which will come down. And he made them drink water of forgetfulness from the chief archon, in order that they might not know from where they came. Thus the seed remained for a while, assisting him in order that, when the spirit comes forth from the holy ions, he may raise up and heal him from the deficiency. That the whole Pleroma, fullness may again become holy and faultless. So it's through Adam and in this document, Seth plays a fundamental role as the line of humanity that possesses the power that was breathed accidentally from Yeltebeoth that really belonged in the spiritual realm and that it's the Seths and the descendants of Seth who through gaining knowledge of this whole thing we're just reading, will be able to have the spiritual spark within them return to the perfect spiritual realm. So we're getting into the whole notion of salvation here. And another phrase they use is immovable race of Seth, is ultimately the souls which will return to become one with the perfect realm. They also have different categories of humans that are mentioned in this section. They have Seths, Seth-like humans, but they also have other humans called the ones who are forever forgetful in a way, who did not know and never come to know, are talked about being bound with chains on page 120 halfway down and cast into the prison and consort with it until it is liberated from the forgetfulness and acquires knowledge. And if thus it becomes perfect, it is saved. So there's a whole idea of there's Seths who recognize who they are, whose souls return, the sparks and the souls return to the perfect fullness. And there's other humans who still are forgetful who go to a sort of Hades-like place where they wait until there's a point at which they may gain knowledge in the future. So that whole section here from 119 to 121 is about the salvation stage, the fourth main stage of the story. But then the author regresses a bit, goes on to interpret a couple, couple more stories in Genesis that I want to point your attention to, since we're talking a little bit about modes of interpretation here and the way in which this author plays on and interprets quite differently the stories in Genesis. So far we've had him interpreting the story of creation, of God hovering over the waters, and he interpreted that as 
Sophia pacing because of the mistake she made. We had him interpreting the phrase, I'm a jealous God, and had that as Yeltebeoth, the creator God, stating it, and that it's an indication of his bad character. We had him interpreting the story of Adam and Eve, had him interpreting the ripping out of the rib as an attempt of a jealous creator God to try and get at the intelligence of Adam, because Adam is superior in this interpretation of Genesis. So these are different interpretations, aren't they, than what you could call the ones we're familiar with as the traditional ones. There are alternate interpretations of Genesis material, and we have that continuing after we get to the final stage of salvation. The author regresses a bit, or rather, the author has the Christ light figure regress in the discussion, explaining to John how things work. So on page 121, you have both the flood story interpreted from Genesis chapter 6, and the story of the sons of God mating with the sons of men in Genesis chapter 6. But what's interesting here, and in some other Nagamadi documents, obviously if the creator God of the Hebrew Bible is not good and is inferior, the flood is a bad activity on the part of the creator God, which is different than the traditional interpretation, which is in Genesis, traditionally, and within Genesis itself, it seems, God is right to send the flood because evil has spread among humanity and people are murdering one another. And then he sends the floods to get rid of the evil that humanity has created. So in Genesis, that's what it goes. But obviously, if you believe a creator God is an inferior, perhaps even evil figure, you have a different way of interpreting it. So this interpretation of the flood is somewhat similar to some other Nagamati documents we'll see. But this is what he has on 121. And Yeltebeoth, the chief archon, repented for everything he had come into being through him. He realized this whole thing is a sham and this whole thing is not working well. Adam turned out to be better than I am. I created a being and it ended up being more intelligent than me. I tried to get the intelligence out of him and couldn't get it. I'm getting tired of this. What's my next thing to do? Send a flood. This time he planned to bring a flood upon the work of man. But the greatness of the light of the foreknowledge informed Noah. So the spiritual realm knows what's going on and informs Noah of what's happening. What happens in Genesis? It's God who tells Noah, the one righteous man and family, what to do. In this interpretation of this Genesis story of the flood, the author of the Apocryphon of John splits the figures into two. He needs to. So that the creator God sends a flood and another source sends the warning to Noah. Obviously not the creator God, right? The spiritual realm sends the message of Noah to try and preserve the offspring of Seth so that the power that is within the offspring of Seth through, no through the generations after Noah will be preserved so that at the time when Christ comes to reveal all this knowledge, the offspring of Seth will gain this knowledge and return to be one with the perfect spiritual realm. It is not as Moses said. So this author says, I disagree with what Moses says in this, par in this section of the Torah. They hid themselves in an ark, but, he gives an allegorical interpretation, they hid themselves in a place, not only Noah, but also many other people from the immovable race. Remember, the immovable race are the descendants of Seth in the mindset of this particular author. They went into a place and hid themselves in a luminous cloud. So the story of the ark is interpreted allegorically, not literally, by this author. And Noah recognized his authority, and she who belongs to the light was with him, having shone on them, because the chief archon had brought darkness upon the whole earth. 
even though Yaltabaoth is doing everything he can to keep things his way, which is the way of ignorance and darkness. Everything the ignorant God does is working against the gaining of knowledge. And the spiritual realm is constantly trying to find plans to foil that activity of the creator God. Here's the next thing. This actually occurs in reverse order in Genesis. In Genesis, the story of the angels, or sons of God, descending down to human women and mating with them occurs just before the flood. And in other Judean authors of contemporary times, approximately, from about 200 BCE on, interpret that story of the angels coming down and mating with men as the source of evil that leads to the flood. Some apocalyptic Judeans believe that the source of evil among humanity that led to God needing to send the flood was that angels came down and mated with humans and gave humans secret knowledge that they should not have revealed. These are the fallen angels that develop into Satan and his demons within Christian and Judean apocalyptic thinking. So that story is important for other Judeans and for other Christians to explain the origins of evil. But here it's interpreted in an entirely different way. And he made a plan with his power. So another plan. You can always count on the Altabeoth to come up with stupid plans. Because he's ignorant. He's jealous. He doesn't have the power he thinks he has. He sent his angels to the daughters of men that they might take some of them for themselves and raise offspring for their enjoyment. And at first they did not succeed. When they had no success, they gathered together again and they made a plan together. These are the archons, the rulers, making a plan. They created a counterfeit spirit, this is important for this author, who resembles the spirit who had descended, so as to pollute the souls through it. Through these archons mating with the women, the counterfeit spirit would be put into the bodies, into the souls of some human beings. And the angels changed themselves in their likeness into the likeness of the daughters of men, mates, filling them with the spirit of darkness, which they had mixed for them and with evil. So the source of human evil is through Yaltebeoth's rulers trying to screw things up again. They don't know why they're trying to, they don't really know what they're trying to stop. But they, through ignorance, they're just constantly doing the wrong thing. Yaltebeoth and his rulers. The creator god of the Hebrew Bible, remember, in the view of this author. That concludes this episode. I hope you'll come again. In the meantime, you can browse my website at philipharland.com. I like early Christianity. The introductory music for this podcast is Shadow Dance by Kaveh, and it's used here with permission under a Creative Commons license. <laughs>